when you were a kid, there was always that kid, wasn't there, that you could uh, that you could get to accept the challenge if the reward was big enough, and and part of the fun was maybe seeing how small of a reward you could offer to get that kid to you know eat the bug or or make the mud pie or or whatever the challenge was. Uh, uh, when I was a youth pastor, uh, that kid was named Albert, and one summer at uh, church camp, when Albert was a freshman. For whatever reason, some upperclassmen had brought some uh, barber shears, uh, some clippers with them, and one night they were convincing Albert that he should shave his head, and uh, as the conversation wore on, evidently, uh, this unsupervised conversation, you know, one of those, as it wore on, they convinced him that what he really ought to do is just shave a stripe down the middle of his head, and so... Albert accepted that challenge, and they shaved a stripe down this kid's head, and then he participated in camp all week with this bald stripe down his head, and when he came home, uh, mom, you know, met him at the church and had a conversation with Albert and decided the best thing to do at that point would be to shave the rest of his head, but he had participated in camp all, all week long with a bald stripe down the middle, and so when, when he shaved his head, he then had a red racing stripe, you know, left down the middle of his head. I'm not sure if the reward was really worth uh, the challenge. Uh, you know, our favorite sports teams sometimes, you know, will we'll accept a challenge, will take a risk uh, looking for a reward. You might this afternoon have plans. I see some Kansas City Chiefs gear, right? We're wearing the Kansas City Chiefs gear proudly. Uh, largely due to the fact that they decided in the offseason to replace a fairly successful quarterback with a, with a rookie quarterback, with a lesser-known commodity. They accepted that risk. They took that challenge in the hopes that the reward would be greater. You know, we, we look for that even in our relationships, in our academic careers, in our, our professional careers, in our spiritual lives maybe. We look for those rewards. My son is a, a senior in high school. He's looking at colleges. One of the colleges he's considering is uh, Colorado Christian University. And we're, we're looking through their website and, and looking at the different programs and the different scholarships, right? And and one of the scholarships they offer at, that stu- stood out to me that I just thought was unique and uh, kind of made me laugh a little bit is that Colorado Christian University offers this Bible memorization scholarship. You can, it's kind of the ultimate Sunday school gold star, right? You know, if you remember in Sunday school, you memorize a verse, you get a gold star on the chart. And I always wondered... You know, is that the right motivation for memorizing? Anyway, this is kind of carries that to the, the final degree, I guess. You memorize a book of the Bible, and they will give you a scholarship towards your tuition. And I kind of thought, well, is that, is that reward worth the, the, the challenge? And, and depending on the length of the book you memorize, the more reward you can receive. And when I thought, well, I don't know, this isn't really the right motivation for memorizing scripture. I don't know if I'm going to encourage Clayton to do this. And then I looked at the price of tuition and I thought, you know, you should get busy because memorizing Isaiah is going to take some time, right? Is the reward worth the challenge? And and that's for sure true in, in our in our relationships, isn't it? There, there are challenges in every kind of relationship and there are rewards in every kind of relationship. 
And when you look at our most important relationships, there are probably bigger challenges associated with those and bigger rewards. And that's for sure true in marriage. Marriage brings with it some tremendous challenges and some wonderful rewards. Now, Jesus teaches us two principles in the book of Matthew. And this we, we've been working our way through the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 as we put different parts of our life under review and as Jesus asks us to do this. And, and this morning, we're going we're gonna to take that most important relationship, one of the most important relationships in our lives, this marriage, and put it under review as we consider the two principles that Jesus teaches about marriage and divorce. In Matthew chapter 5, we're going to take a look at just two verses in chapter 5, and then we're going to take a look as Jesus continues essentially the same conversation in Matthew chapter 19. We're going to look at really verses 3 through 8 in Matthew chapter 19. So if you're using your Bible uh, uh, your Bible app, you can find those uh, scripture references under Walula. If you're using the Walula app to read a scripture and to follow along on the outline, all of those references are present. If you're just using the old-fashioned book, right? Uh, put a finger in Matthew chapter 19. We're going to turn over there in just a second. Uh, find your way to Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 to 32, as we consider two principles that Jesus teaches about marriage and divorce in Matthew, the fifth chapter, beginning with verse 31. This is what God's word says. It has been said... Anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. All right. So we're going to unpack these two verses in Matthew chapter 19 as we consider two principles that Jesus teaches here. And principle number one, hang on because I know... I, you come you come here every Sunday expecting these kinds of profound thoughts from me, right? And and so I'm going to offer you this deep uh, intellectual insight into marriage and relationships in principle number one, that relationships are never as simple as they seem. Relationships are never as simple as they seem. It has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. Now, right off the bat, I think it's interesting because Jesus doesn't really begin the conversation with this theological debate about divorce. He doesn't begin this conversation with the history of divorce in Israel. He doesn't begin this conversation with, uh, you know, the morality involved in, in divorce. He's just, he's just accepting that divorce is a part of, of life in, in his era. He he, that's not to say he's accepting divorce, but he's accepting that it exists. And he's dealing with sort of the real-life application of divorce here. And so he begins this conversation. And, and as I thought about this fact, you, you know, it reminded me, it reminded me of, of uh, a, a TV commercial I saw a few weeks ago. Uh, my, my wife and daughters were watching this movie on television, and it was, it was a Hallmark movie. And uh, evidently was on the Hallmark Channel because there was a commercial advertising in the middle of, you know, August. Their Christmas movies that'll play all through December, right? I mean, I, already uh, Christmas movies. Now, look in our house, we love these Hallmark Christmas movies, and even I, I like these. Home, I mean, you put a Christmas tree in anything, I'm going to sit down to watch it. You know, I just think these movies are great. And 
and I will tease Sherry sometimes because she'll be watching the movie and I'll walk in in the middle and she might say, hey, do you want to watch this movie? And I'll say, I'm not sure if I can catch up. You know, I'm not sure if I'll know what will happen. Or I'll say, hey, what's going on in this movie? Because you know the same thing happens in every one of these movies, right? You know, boy meets girl. Girl is irritated by boy. Boy and girl realize that that uh, irritation is really love. Boy and girl uh, live happily ever after. You know, that's how the movie goes. And, I, and that's really silly and goofy, even for a Christmas movie, right? How ridiculous is that? It just starts like that and goes like that. But when you think about it, if you're married, I want you to think back to those weeks and months and maybe years leading up to marriage and that relationship, right? I mean, this happens all the time in premarital counseling as I talk to couples who are entering into marriage. Everybody, everybody ends up sort of in this place. Maybe we've seen a relationship struggle with all kinds of different things in their marriage, and we're worried about that. Couples will come worried because maybe both sets of parents have divorced at some point in time, and they're worried about kind of the pitfalls and the challenges that exist in marriage, and the conversation will go on, and all of us kind of get to this place where we think, oh yeah, but we're different. Right, Our love is deeper and stronger and more profound than the love that other couples have surrounding us. And I don't, we don't really know and we don't want to talk about the challenges and risks that are evident in relationships like marriage because our love will carry us through. You know, we might make fun of those silly Christmas movies on the Hallmark Channel, but sometimes we approach even the most important relationships in our life in that same way. And what we really know, especially after you get involved in that relationship, after you say I do, and you're, you're living for a few months or a few years together, you realize that this not very profound principle number one is just absolutely true, isn't it? That relationships just are never as simple as they seem. Now, that's why uh, Jesus begins this conversation with this straightforward handling of, of divorce and why in, in premarital counseling and, and why we, when we think about the most important relationships and, and especially our marriages, we have to talk about the challenges that exist there. And I, I've told you before, when I sit down with a couple at premarital counseling, we always talk about these three big challenges in marriage that exist in every marriage and that are the biggest contributors to divorce in almost any marriage, and, and uh, they're, they're the uh, issues of faith and finances and uh, physical relationships, you know, sex and sexual relationships. Those, those are the biggest challenges that are present, and sometimes we want to just gloss it, we say our love is bigger than that, and so we get involved in a relationship where we're, where we're uh, not on the same page as far as faith goes, and man, there are huge challenges that exist with that. I know a couple right now that are dealing with these challenges where, where wife and kids are so interested and so much want to be a part of, of church and to grow a relationship with Jesus and to live after him and to find out what it means to be disciples of Jesus. And dad is not just, not, he doesn't want that relationship, but man, he's so opposed to it that he's putting restrictions on 
his wife and kids in their pursuit of that relationship. You know, there's challenges that exist there. There's damage that's done in that relationship that they have to navigate and figure out as they go that if we were on the same page before we were married, uh, maybe we wouldn't, we wouldn't face such a huge challenge. Or finances, you know, people, I don't want to shock you again with a deep, profound thought, but uh, people fight about money. You know, if you're married and you're sharing a bank account and all of those things, you are going to have challenges faced with finances, whether it's as simple as, you know, deciding together, you know, what's the what's the largest purchase we make individually without consulting one another? You know, something as simple as that to really big kind of decisions in life about whether to buy a house or sell a house or or what job to take and all of those sorts of things. You know, finances will present challenges that we have to navigate and we have to figure out in marriage. And and we have to talk about those things. We have to figure them out. And if we figure out to be on the same page as far as budget and how we're going to spend and how we're going to plan and all those things, those challenges get to be a little bit more uh, easy to navigate. They're never easy, I guess, but a little more simple to figure out. And finally, you know, that physical relationship. And Jesus talked about that physical relationship last week. And sometimes the baggage that we carry into uh, an important relationship, some past relationships, and just uh, preconceived ideas about what that relationship should look like, and, and all of those concerns. And when, when you think about those three biggest challenges, and you think about the, the three things, if you made a list of three things that you would really hate to talk about with, you know, anybody, you know, probably those three things might just, just show up. You know, we we, when we think about a dinner party, man, maybe those are subjects we want to avoid, right? You know, religion and, and our finances, we're not laying open our checkbook, you know, for our, our guests to see. And we're probably not talking about our most intimate physical relationships with just anybody. Those three areas are some of the most difficult areas to talk about. And so they're some of the most difficult challenges we face. And Jesus is just knee-deep in this conversation. He sort of continues this conversation in Matthew chapter 19. Let's go ahead and flip over and, and take a look at and see how this conversation continues in verse 3. He continues this conversation with some Pharisees in, in chapter 19 of the book of Matthew, where it says in verse 3, some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Now, it turns out that divorce isn't a new idea. It's not new to our generation. It's not new to the generation before us. It's not new to uh, the United States. It, 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 wasn't new. it wasn't a new conversation even to Jesus. This is a debate that had been going on and on for decades and decades and decades with Jewish rabbis. And we're jumping kind of into the middle of that debate here in verse 3 of Matthew chapter 19. There were, there were essentially two, two uh, frames of thought here. And depending on the rabbi that you followed, you either believed that uh, uh, one rabbi taught that, hey, you could, you could divorce for any reason. This was usually just based on cultural culture and, and all of that. There, you know, marriage and divorce looked a little different for people in Jesus' day, just based on cultural differences than it does for us. The principles overlap, but it's a little different. So in Jesus' day, it's almost always a man divorcing his wife. And this rabbi would teach that a man can divorce his wife for, uh, for any reason, right? And so that might be, that might be 
sexual immorality, that might be adultery, that might be something as significant as that, as that or it might be something as insignificant as, uh, you know, she burned him, right? And so just for any and every reason, verse 3 says, can somebody divorce his wife? The other train of thought was a rabbi who taught, no, it has to be for marital unfaithfulness. It has to be for sexual immorality. And, and so that's the question. And there's lots of reasons, I suppose, why the rabbis, the Pharisees would ask this question. But we learn in chapter verse 3 of chapter 19 that they want to trap him. They know that no matter what he answers, he's going to hack about half the people off. Right? Somebody's going to be angry about this. But Jesus answers this question, and he just can, he dives in, and he's basically going to say, no, there's, there's not, you, divorce isn't for any and every reason. He begins by saying, and we're going to look at these verses in a minute, this is really God's plan for marriage. All right? So he's going to begin by saying, this is God's idea. This is what he wants marriage to look like. But then he continues the conversation and answers their question specifically in verse 7. When they say, okay, if that's what God wants marriage to look like, the Pharisees say, then why does divorce exist? Verse 7 says, why then, they ask, did Moses command what a, that a man give his wife a certificate of, of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not that way from the beginning. So they ask, okay, if that's how God designed marriage, then why does divorce exist? And Jesus answers, because your hearts were hard. And he could really sort of end the conversation there. Now, we have to understand what it means to have a hard heart. But that, that what we're going to realize is, is that every divorce boils down to hardened hearts. Because a hard heart, there's lots of different ways to describe it. But basically, if you read through Scripture and you, when you look at people described as having a hard heart, we, we talk all the time about this most important vertical relationship we have with our God and then these horizontal relationships that we have with others. And when we place ourselves ahead of either one of those relationships, then our heart begins to harden. You know, when we, when we act selfishly in either or, and or both, our relationship with God and our relationship with others, our heart begins to harden. And every divorce boils down to a hardened heart. Now, maybe, you know, there's, there's exceptions and, and all of that, and maybe it's completely one person's fault. We, we can wrestle and talk about all the specific individual circumstances. In fact, Jesus is going to teach, hey, there are exceptions to this, and there's reasons that God allows this divorce. And, and it, but it all boils down to a hardened heart. And, and the, basically, Jesus says, look, Moses allowed you to divorce. Divorce exists to protect people from those hardened hearts. Now, Jesus offers this idea of, of sexual immorality as sort of this, this uh, ex excuse for divorce or this reason that divorce might be permitted. And, and you kind of expand that in New Testament teaching and, and you realize that it's marital unfaithfulness that's taught as, as one of the reasons uh, to protect others from this hardened heart and that divorce is provided for and, 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 and issues of neglect and abuse and sexual immorality and abandonment. He talks about that in verse 9. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries uh, another woman commits adultery. And so Jesus, even Jesus says, man, there are exceptions to the rule here. And he talks a little bit about those exceptions. You know, marriage, our relationships are never as simple as they seem. Principle number one. 
let's dive in and let's take a look at what you know God's plan for marriage then is. And and principle number two, we'll go back and and look briefly at verse 32 because Jesus is going to essentially teach again that there are exceptions to this rule. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. Anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. The hard truth of verse 32 is that that Jesus equates divorce with adultery. And there's this breaking of a relationship. Now we're going to go and and, and kind of look at what Jesus is talking about. and, and, And as we go back to chapter 19 and God's plan for marriage and why Jesus might equate divorce with adultery. Now what Jesus isn't teaching is that hey, if you're divorced, you're committing uh, and remarried, you're committing this ongoing adultery. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's, he's simply teaching how important this relationship is to God, that there's a breaking of faithfulness, that there's a breaking of covenant here, and, and that, that that matters to God. And so let's go back to chapter 19 of Matthew, and let's take a look at at God's plan for marriage and the conversation that Jesus has. Because Jesus doesn't begin uh, this time with, with the Old Testament. He doesn't begin this time with the law of Moses. He goes all the way back to the beginning. Verse 4 says, Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female. You can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 to 25, and you can read about the creation of Adam, and, and God you know, knows that it's not good for Adam to be alone, and he wants to teach Adam that it's not good for him to be alone, and so there's this weird parade in, in Genesis chapter 2 of, of all of God's creation you know, coming before Adam, and there's like, is, is this a suitable helper for Adam? Is this a suitable helper for Adam? Is this a good partner for Adam? And of course, none of them are a good uh, partner for Adam. And, and God just wants to illustrate what it means to be alone and, and what, it, what it means, how much better it is to live in partnership and, and, and how important this relationship is going to be. And finally, God gives Adam Eve and he gives Eve Adam and he begins this great relationship of marriage in Genesis chapter 2 all the way back at the beginning. It was God's idea. It was God's plan. He made them male and female and said in verse 5, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And so after Jesus points at the very beginning, he quotes the end of of Genesis chapter 2, verses 24 and 25, and he teaches these two pillars, this principle number two, that marriage is built on two pillars. And he teaches these two pillars in in this verse, quoting uh, Genesis chapter 2. And he talks about the fact that the first pillar of marriage, and this is going to seem weird in this conversation about marriage and divorce, but this first pillar of marriage that Jesus talks about is leaving. Look look at verse uh, 5 here. And he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. So we're going to leave father and mother. And as I thought about this, I thought, well, that's weird. You know, we're talking about marriage and the importance of marriage and staying married and not leaving in divorce. And here Jesus is teaching the first principle, the first first pillar that marriage is built on is leaving. But when you think about it, leaving has always been important to God. You know, when when he has this conversation with Abraham, he says, Abraham, I want to make you this promise, but what do I need you to do first? I need you to leave. I need you to leave your father's household, and I want you to go to this land that I'm telling you to move to. 
I'm going to make a, build a great nation. I'm going to give you a family, and that family's going to grow into a great nation, and the entire world's going to be blessed and be saved. God makes this huge promise to Abraham, and it's based on Abraham. We'll leave it. Uh, when when uh, God is ready to rescue his people from Egypt, you know, he, he has this comfort. He says, Moses, I want you to go lead your people out of Egypt. And, and there are these, these plagues and these, these uh, challenges. And, and God says, hey, you, you tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And finally, uh, Pharaoh releases the nation of Israel at that point, hundreds of thousands of people. And as they begin their march out of Egypt, over and over, there are challenges that are present. And, and at each one of these challenges, the people begin to say, well, you know, maybe we ought to go back to Egypt. And Moses, speaking for God, says, no, we're, we're supposed to leave to this bigger promise, this land that God has in store for us, this better promise. Leaving has always been important to God. In fact, uh, Jesus, when he's, when he's leaving his disciples to ascend into heaven, he gives them one last instruction, right? And, and we call it the Great Commission, and it's go. I want you to leave. I want you to go to Jerusalem and Samaria and Judea and to the ends of the earth. To make disciples. Leaving has always been important to God. And in each one of those situations, though, it, it was leaving that sort of designated, that sort of promoted one relationship over another and kind of this hierarchy of relationships that God has for us. And so when God says, you know, this first pillar of marriages is, is for you to leave father and mother, it's, it's kind of the same thing Jesus said when, when he told uh, somebody, if you want to be my disciple, you have to hate your mom and dad. Does Jesus really want you to hate your mom and dad? No, he just wants you to have your relationships right in this hierarchy of relationships, right? I want to be the most important relationship. And you're going to leave your mother and father if you're going to be married. And this new relationship is going to be the most important horizontal relationship you have of any other relationship. And when we think about challenges that exist, sometimes we, we kind of, they exist because we, we mess up this relationship hierarchy. You know, in our culture today, we talk about our relationship with our children as being the most important thing. Sometimes you'll even hear people say, you know, maybe we ought to stay married for the kids. Right? And I'm here to tell you, that's, that's a bad reason to stay married. Because your relationship hierarchy is all out of whack. It's all messed up. Jesus says the, the sort of the opposite. I want you to make sure that this relationship is, is the most important horizontal relationship in your life. Your relationship with me, your relationship with your spouse, probably your relationship with your kids follows that, right? And then, you know, there's all these other relationships in your life. I want you to get these relationships right as far as this hierarchy. And that's what he, Jesus is teaching when he says, I want you to leave your father and mother. That's the first pillar of, of this relationship. And the second pillar of this relationship is to cleave. Now, cleave is, a, is an old-fashioned word, but it rhymes with leave, so we're going to go with it, right? To leave and to cleave. As Jesus says in, in, in verse 5, For this reason man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. United with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Cleave is an old word that means to cling to, to hold on to. 
And so as we promote, we lead and we promote this relationship to the most important horizontal relationship in our hierarchy of relationships, then we're going to cling and we're going to hold on to that relationship. It becomes our most intimate relationship, kind of the, the most direct picture here is of a physical relationship and kind of the obvious physical intimacy that's involved in marriage there and how important that is. But that's not the only facet of intimacy that Jesus is talking about, huh? He wants that to be an illustration of the overall intimacy that's present in, in this relationship and that grows and that we hold on to one another. We're clinging to each other. So we're going to leave as one pillar and we're going to cleave to one another as the other pillar. Pillar And verse 6 says, so that they are no longer two, but one flesh. Most important horizontal relationship we have, a relationship that's, that's a partnership, that our most intimate partnership. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Let no one separate. What God has joined together, let no man separate. There are reasons that divorce becomes the only option. Jesus is going to offer some exceptions here, right? We've looked at those in verses 7, 8, and 9. But too often, too often, we fall into these pitfalls where we jump into those exceptions too quickly. You know, I I think there are three major pitfalls that will cause us to kind of jump to those exceptions that that even Scripture teaches too quickly. We get to that place where, yeah, this is the end of the road for me. I can't continue. I I can't cling any longer. And those, those pitfalls, I think, I, you know, I think there's the worst case scenario guy, right? We do this with all kinds of different areas of our lives, all kinds of decisions, all kinds of even sin that exists in our lives, where we rationalize that sin in all kinds of different areas and even in our relationships by sort of worst case scenarios. We say, yeah, but what about this? And what about that? And what about this? And we point to these crazy scenarios, these worst-case scenarios, and then we kind of backtrack that worst-case scenario and overlay it into our scenario and say, man, my situation is an awful lot like this worst-case scenario. And so we kind of rationalize ourselves into one of those exceptions to the rule. You know, maybe the next pitfall is, is sort of the opposite of that. It's this 50-50 myth. Where we, where we get to the point in this relationship and we say, well, yeah, everybody has baggage, everybody has faults, and everybody is at fault. Everybody has some, some, something they bring to this, this disillusion of relationship. We can't continue because of, of all these problems that each one of us has. And we say, well, it, it's kind of 50-50. And we use that 50-50 myth as sort of an excuse to say, well, everybody's at fault, so nobody's at fault, and we can just go away because of everybody's fault, right? Because this, these problems exist. Well, the truth is, is that every divorce, no matter the situation, no matter the worst case scenario that you might paint, no matter how simple and 50-50 we think it might be, boils down to a hardened heart. And every one of us has to examine ourselves seriously to determine, you know, where does that hardened heart begin and where does it end? What, do I, what may I need to fix in this relationship? Are there exceptions to that rule? Absolutely. But sometimes we, we jump right into that exception based on this 50-50 myth. And the third one is the most difficult for me to explain. It's the most difficult to handle. It's the most difficult truth to speak, I think. 
But the last, the last pitfall that we sometimes land in in relationships in general and as the church is this kind of unconditional support rule. We say, well, no matter what you do, no matter what you say, we're going to offer you unconditional support. And this is really hard for me. This is really difficult because, because I think there's probably a place where we could say that no matter the decision we make, we should offer unconditional love. I think that's probably true. I think that's who Jesus is. You know, certainly in my life, there are so many mistakes and so many poor choices and so much sin that Jesus could just say, I'm done with lamp for, but he hasn't and he won't. Right? I can't outrun his grace. I can't outrun his forgiveness. I can't, can't outrun his love. But I think that love is different than unconditional support. That no matter what, I'm going to support this decision. Sometimes that unconditional love demands that we not support a decision. I know that's hard to wrap our minds around, and it's, it's, it's really super hard to kind of live out. I'm not, I'm not saying that I have all the answers here about what that looks like. But, but as, a, as, a, as a church, as a fellow believer, as a, as a brother and sister in Christ, I don't know if it's fair for us to offer our unconditional support for every decision, for every choice that somebody makes. I think when I read the New Testament, I think that's what I read. That there's a point where unconditional love demands that I say, no, that's not the right choice. That's not fair. You know, too often we kind of get to this, this pitfall and we overlay it and we say, well, we're the exception to the rule. Marriages are built on these two pillars and we have to concentrate on this idea. We have to focus and we have to go back over and over to leaving and cleaving. You know, I was reading uh, articles about marriage this week and one of the articles I picked up was, was uh, an article that was entitled, you know, Science Has the Answer to Long Marriages. The, the secret to longevity in marriage Science has the answer to, and and basically it boiled down to a to a couple of, of different things. One one study that was conducted in 1965 took a look at lifelong marriages, and they they concluded that there were two kinds of marriages that lasted a long time. One was an instrumental marriage, and they defined an instrumental marriage as a as a marriage where the couple values the institution, the idea of marriage over the individuals. And then the other kind of marriage was an intrinsic marriage where the couples valued uh, the other person over themselves. Uh, a study in 1988 took it a little further. They studied 50-year-long uh, marriages, and they decided in that study that instrumental marriages, these marriages where that, those couples placed the institution, the idea of marriage over the couple themselves, was the key to longevity. In 1990, a study continued on, on that 88 study, and they concluded, no, 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 it's really when you place both of these concepts together that's the key to longevity and stable marriages. The author of that article said, uh, quoted that study in 1990 by saying, being committed to both marriage itself 
and the partner as a person were the keys to a, a stable and long-term marriage. You know, when I, when I read that article, I realized that, you know, science has caught up to Jesus. You know, that it's figured out that, yeah, we need to leave, we need to promote this relationship to the most important horizontal relationship we have and kind of our hierarchy of relationships. And then we need to love our spouse like Jesus loved the church. We need to focus on that relationship as the most important horizontal relationship. And we need to focus on that person with, with as much love we need to cleave and hold on to. I'm grateful, finally, that science has caught up with the church. We can leave and we can cleave. We can build our marriages on those two pillars. Let's stand and worship together.